But we're in our second lesson of the Rise Up series. We've been talking about what it means to maximize our life in Christ. And that's not always easy. And last week we tried to talk about what does it mean to live a life, quote, in Christ, end quote. Uh, and Paul kind of teaches us about that. And, and we get to live through him because he empowers us in our life. And our, our surrender to him is through our actions and our thoughts. And, and we step into a whole new dynamic of life because we're living a life in Christ, we talked about the fact that Jesus loved you and I to life. He, he made abundant life available to you and, and available to me. And he's calling us to rise up to another level or rise up to, I guess, the level of life that he has made available to us. And today I want to share a, a, a key, if you will, a key of success on how to maximize that life in Christ. And if we, if we apply it, then it will change our world. And if we don't apply it, then our world stays as is. In fact, John chapter 3, verse number 16, is kind of our key scripture for this series. It says, for this is how God loved the world. He gave his one and only son so that everyone who believes in him will not perish, but have eternal life. God loved, so he gave. Love drove his actions. It's the law of sowing and reaping. You sow and you reap. When you see the the law of sowing and reaping in action, it it, kind of makes sense. Because when a farmer goes out and and sows corn seed, he, he reaps corn. When someone goes out into the community and, and uh, sows sacrifice, they often, she might reap the gratitude of people around her. When you sow something, you're going to reap something, but you're going to reap something that is very similar to the, very, to the thing that you sowed. No one sows a, a corn seed expecting an apple crop. That's, that's not how it works. We, we all understand this. And so logic says that if, if, the, if God sowed love, then love is the reciprocating response. And when I say, use the word reciprocating, it simply means that thing which is returned. It's like a bicycle where, where the chain goes this way from the gears and then it comes back to the gears. And, and it, it offers power, then it offers potential. And it feeds power and offers potential. It's a reciprocity involved. It's a reciprocating Action. So the, the logical response is that if love is sown, then love is the, res, the reciprocal re, reaction or the response. It's that thing that is reaped. Well, look at what Ephesians chapter 5 verses 1 and 2 say to us. It says, imitate God, therefore, in everything you do, because you are his dear children. Live a life filled with love, following the example of Christ. He loved us and offered himself as a sacrifice for us, a pleasing aroma to God. He's saying he gave us love. Now go be like Jesus, do like Jesus, and give out the same thing that Jesus has given to us. Live a life filled with love following the example of Christ. Well, how does the scripture define love? What does love look like? 
How are we going to, we can't give something that we do not have. We can't display something that we do not understand or can't uh, gain a, a mental picture of it. So what does love look like? The, the Bible says in 1 Corinthians chapter 13 that love is patient. I just described everybody watching right now. Every single one of us is filled with patience because we love the people around us. Okay, maybe you have to repent a little bit, but it's there. Love is patient. Love is happy for others. Love is not flashy or proud. Love is not self-focused. Love isn't emotionally touchy and easy to offend. Love isn't focused on how it's wronged. In fact, it's not happy about wrong or doing wrong to others at all. Love celebrates truth, even if the truth isn't beneficial to self. How about love bears up under anything and everything that comes along? How about it's always ready to believe the best of someone else? In fact, if we skip down to 1 Corinthians 13, verse 8, it says love never ends. Love is eternal. It's lasting. It's consistent. These, these all describe love. It's amazing in every possible way. Love is something that we, we all seek in life. It's something we enjoy when we receive it. And in fact, love is even something that we like to give to the people around us. But our big idea today is this. Well, before I give you the big idea, love can be, can be uh, summarized in a single word. If you look at everything that 1 Corinthians talks about with love, it can be summarized with one word, and that word is humility. Humility. That's a big word. It's a big word. Just like love is a big word. Humility, and our big idea today is this. A key to maximizing your life in Christ is living humbly. You might say, well, no, you're asking, you're saying we're going to rise up, but, but to rise up, we must live humbly in order to, to rise up in strength and power of life in Christ. We're called to live humbly. How does that make any sense? Well, think about a building. If you're going to build a building, then the higher the structure of the building is planned to go, the lower the foundation must go. In order for the building to go high, it must first go very, very low. If you're going to build a skyscraper, you have pilings that go far deep into the earth in order to give that building the structure that it needs in order to be able to go as high as you have planned. And if you are looking at your life rising up in Christ, then it it must be planted and firmly secure in something bigger than itself. So the higher you plan to go in life, the more humbly you need to live in life. And that brings me to thought number one. That true humility precedes gain. True humility precedes gain. And that seems counterintuitive. We live in a world where self-promotion seems to be the way that folks get ahead. 
You, you get out there on social media and you, you get as many likes and as many followers and as many clicks and as many shares as possible. And I know this is reality because even in the church world right now where, where sometimes that's never been, that's not really been the focus. It is the focus today because we're having to do church in an entirely different medium and in a whole different manner. And it's not something that we're uh, completely, at least with Five Lakes, a.k.a. McCord Road uh, Christian Church, it, it's not something that we've done a lot of over the years. It's a brand new experience. And in order to reach as many people as possible, you need those likes, you need those shares, but it seems almost self-promoting. And in our world today, self-promotion seems to be the way to get ahead. But here's what Proverbs chapter 22 says. True humility and the fear of the Lord lead to riches, honor, and long life. Humility and fear of the Lord are leading to honor and riches. Now, I know that riches doesn't only mean money, and that's accurate, but it also doesn't not mean money. It's part of the the package, if you will, honor and riches. So people who fear or respect God and are humble... The scripture says they receive an increase in their life. They rise up. They rise up in honor. They rise up in riches. They, 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 they step forward because they are choosing to operate in the true humility and respect of the Lord. So if that is true, and we know that that is true, then why aren't we more humble? Why isn't it easier to be humble on a regular basis? I think one reason is a humble person, it is feared, will be poor and ignored. If, if you're not shouting your own glory, if you're not whistling your own tune, if you will, then, then no one will know that you can whistle at all. No one knows what you can do. So you got to tell everybody what you can do. And so if, if you get yourself out there, that's really the name of the game. But, but he says, no, that's not how it works. And if you think about the truth here, rich people are often humble enough to learn how to gain wealth. They listened long before they talked. They, they gained the information long before they started whistling a tune. They understood some principles of how to earn money, how to earn wealth, how to manage the wealth that was earned, and then how to reinvest what they had in order to create more income. And that's how they became wealthy. So they started with humility. A prideful person has a hard time getting there because, well, a prideful person knows everything. They're more interested in telling you what they know than learning what others may know. They're more interested in expressing uh, their knowledge than gaining knowledge from others. And the reality is that often a prideful person has far less knowledge than they personally think. And if you think about one of the greatest examples of this, it is Solomon the son of David, who is going to be made king over Israel. And he has an opportunity to ask God for anything. And he says, I need wisdom. I need understanding to be able to guide your people and lead your people. And God says to Solomon, okay, I'm going to give you what you asked for. I'm going to make you the smartest guy that's ever lived. And I'm going to make you wealthy. And I'm going to give you a name that is honored around the world. 
People traveled from all over the place to come learn at the feet of Solomon. He became vastly wealthy because he started humble. Another fear that we have is that a humble person won't be given the honor that they deserve. And so I have to demand the honor deserve that I deserve. I have to, I have to demand it from other people. You will honor me. You will treat me well. You will. And I'll never rise to my full potential if I don't make people understand that I deserve their honor. But the scripture says that Moses called to lead God's people millions of people. In Numbers chapter 12, God defines him or or identifies him as the most humble man on earth. Now, I've met some humble people, but I don't know if I've ever met the most humble man on earth. And God says that Moses is the most humble man on earth, and that's the person that I'm going to elevate to the place of leading my people. He is the go-to guy for millions of people that call me Lord. It's a pretty incredible honor that Moses was given. He was given that honor when he started in humility. I think sometimes we're not humble or it's not easy to be humble because we misunderstand humility. We, we believe that, that the humble accept mistreatment from other people. That if we're humble, then if people can just walk all over us and call us whatever they want and do however they want with us. But because we're humble, we won't say anything about it. We won't do anything about it. And that is a misunderstanding of humility. In fact, Jesus, who was a humble person, for sure, okay, he, he, he did not accept everything that everybody wanted to throw at him without giving anything back. At times, he gave it back to the Pharisees verbally when they were pushing on him. He said, you know, you're whited sepulchers full of dead men's bones. Uh, that wasn't nice. And then he, at one point, calls them the son of Satan, which by definition also isn't nice. Jesus was humble, but he didn't just accept everything. In fact, one of my favorite moments in Christ's life is in the Garden of Gethsemane. Whenever the, uh, the soldiers are coming to get him, these are rough, tough Roman soldiers. You couldn't be uh, just, you know, anything and be a Roman soldier. They were, they were strong. They were, they were ready to do battle. And they come to arrest Jesus. And, and they say, hey, we're looking for Jesus. And the Bible says that he turns to him and them and he says, I am he. Now, now in my mind, I don't know that this is exactly true, but in my mind, I, I picture Jesus kind of getting up and, and saying, yeah, that's me. And I think he stepped toward them. And the scripture says they all fell down on the ground whenever he did it. So he, they come and say, we're going to arrest Jesus. And, and who's, which one of you is Jesus? And Jesus says, I'm him. I'm he. And they fall down on the ground. I think this was Jesus flexing on the Roman soldiers. You have to be impressed with my use of the word flexing. Please. Jesus wasn't just taking it. He was giving himself. He was showing them right then and there. You can't take me if I don't want you to take me. But I am going to go with you. Because I have a job to do that's bigger than what you understand. It's a misunderstanding of humility to think that the humble accept dishonor from others. 
The correct understanding of humility is that humility is identifying oneself correctly. False humility is whenever I say I have no value, but I think a lot of myself. Oh, don't tell me how wonderful I am. I am that wonderful. But don't tell me. No, 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 no. Don't, don't, don't give me any compliments. No, 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 no. I'm going to put this out there. I might get bad emails about this. I might get angry faces in the comments. I don't know. I don't know this. But sometimes I think, sometimes I believe that, uh, that Christy asks me to tell her how she looks in a dress just because she wants me to tell her that she looks good in the dress. I think that's true. I think that sometimes people put things on Facebook that says, oh, it's a beautiful day, and I, but I look terrible, knowing that 50,000 people are going to tell them how awesome they look. Now, if you do that, I'm not trying to dog on you. I'm just saying, okay, I'm dogging on you a little bit, but I'm just saying that sometimes we have false humility when we're, what we're really trying to get people to do is tell us how good we are. Now, low self-esteem is a whole different ballgame. Low self-esteem is believing lies about yourself instead of believing God's truth about you. Low self-esteem isn't trying to garner the, the praise of others. Low self-esteem is, is actually trying to hide from others most of the time. Maybe moments of venturing out, but a lifetime of being afraid. How about true humility? True humility is recognizing both strengths and weaknesses. It knows our value. It understands who we are. We know who we are. And the reason why true humility can precede gain is because we correctly understand and identify who we are, strengths and weaknesses, and therefore we can manage opportunities that come into our life in a proper manner. We don't try to step into the place that we cannot go. And we do maximize the opportunities that come into our life that we are equipped to handle. We understand who we are. That is true humility and it precedes gain. And that brings us to thought number two. That humility is self-aware and yet others focused. Self-aware and others focused. Jesus was humble, but he knew his place. He was the son of God. He knew who he was. He also understood his authority. He said, all power has been given to me. He understands his place. He understands his authority. He's not confused by any of this. He has absolutely nothing to prove, but he has so much to teach. And so just before he goes to the cross for the sins of humanity, he, he has dinner with his disciples. And John chapter 13 says he takes a, a towel and a basin and, and he says, I'm going to wash your feet. Now, this was not an uncommon thing in their day. For uh, when you came into a house, typically a servant would wash the feet of the guests that were coming into the house. But Jesus the one that they followed, is now saying, I'm going to wash your feet. And Peter said, no, you're not going to wash my feet. And Jesus said, this isn't a question that I'm asking you. This is a command that I'm giving you. I'm going to wash your feet. And if you want to depart with me, then you're going to let me do it. Now, that is a hard thing for Jesus to say and an even harder thing for Peter to hear. But think about the attitude that Peter is operating in. 
If Peter had walked into a house and a servant had said, may I wash your feet? Peter would have gladly said yes and offered his foot for washing because that was normal culture. That was normal in his day. But to have his master wash his feet, oh, that was an entirely different thing altogether. So to, for his feet to be washed by a servant, that was something Peter would have felt he deserved and was right. But to have Peter's feet washed by his Savior, that was humbling. It's a humbling thing to have your feet washed by someone that you respect versus someone that you're willing to lord over. When I grew up, we had foot washing services and it was, it was a normal thing. Once a year, we would come together and receive communion. And then women would go in one place and men would go in another place. And, and, and we would wash one another's feet in honor to God. Now, I, I think that if we started instituting that uh, today, that a whole lot of people would probably find another church to attend. I, I think it's just reality because it makes, it makes people uncomfortable. It makes people uncomfortable to wash someone else's feet, but it even makes people uncomfortable to have their feet washed. That's a, that is just, that is just, it, it, well, what it is, is it's humbling. And it's not something that we gravitate to with great joy and happiness. But yet when all of this was done, this is what Jesus said in John 13. He said, and since I, your Lord and teacher, have washed your feet, you ought to wash each other's feet. I have given you an example to follow. Do as I have done to you. He said, I'm leading by example here. I'm, I'm doing this, so you need to do this too. Not to me. Oh, Jesus, we'll wash your feet any day. You're the Lord. You're the Savior. You're the one that we follow. Oh, no, no, no. I don't want you to wash my feet. I want you to wash each other's feet. Whoa, uh, him? Her, him? Her? Her? No, 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 no. They're on the same level as I am. They're, they're below me. They're, they, they, I, I'll wash the one that's above me, but the one that's below me? Jesus said, yes, I, I'm humbling myself to wash your feet. You should do likewise. He's talking about living in humility. See, an opportunist will rush to serve their upline. The person that they think is be- bigger or better than them, they'll, they'll rush to serve them, really, so that they personally can be gained, receive gain. But Jesus shows that humility is serving your sideline, that's each other, and your downline, like Jesus was doing. The Son of God, the Prince of Heaven, is washing the feet of humanity without question his downline. And Jesus could say, hey, I came from heaven. I came to save you. I came to die for you. It's a high bar of servanthood. And we can't do all of that, but we can do something. And this is what he says in John 13, 17. Now that you know these things, God will bless you for doing them. To know things is good, but blessing comes when you do the thing. That humbles you. See, theoretical humility connects you to potential, but it changes nothing. Applied humility empowers you to rise up, maximizing your life in Christ. Culture may value what you know, but God blesses what you do. 
So choose intentionally to get low so that you can go high in Christ Jesus. And you might say, well, I don't want to humble myself. I, I don't want to do that. Agreed. Neither do I. In fact, I don't know anyone that wants to humble themselves. Those that say that they want to humble themselves are probably not telling the truth. Our carnal nature fights against being humbled by choice or by force. But think about the reality that those who lift themselves up will always fall down. But those who are lifted up by others gain an amazing support structure underneath them, holding them up. And if God is the one who has elevated you, it's the greatest support structure that has ever existed. You cannot fail with that kind of a support structure beneath you. So allow God to lift you up. In fact, in the words of the writer James, James 4, he says, humble yourself before the Lord and he will lift you up in honor. Allow him to raise you up. So be self-aware and others focused. And that brings us to thought number three, that humility changes the narrative. It changes the narrative. Pride and, and carnality, those things, they, they drive us to respond to stimuli in kind, oftentimes to prove our worth, to prove our value. It, really what we're doing is validating ourselves. And pride causes us to respond in a way to validate ourselves. But the scripture says, in fact, Solomon writing, Proverbs chapter 15, a gentle answer deflects anger. But harsh words makes tempers flare. So a soft answer in response to anger presented deflects the anger. But, but that's not our natural response. If somebody's getting in my face, my natural response is to get back in their face too. You're going to yell at me, I'm going to yell at you louder. You're going to swing at me, I'm going to swing at you more. You're going to push me, I'm going to push you as hard as I can. You're going to do that to me, I'm coming back at you. That is the natural response of things. Now, there are some people who may not be as aggressive about coming back at, but, but their response is to turn away and ignore. Oh, you're going to come at me? I'm going to ignore and act like you don't even exist. Oh, you're not going to agree with what I'm saying? I'm going to act like you've died and left the earth. I'm not going to actually pay attention to you at all. That's the natural responses to either pull away, do nothing, say nothing, and act like it didn't happen, or most often respond in kind. None of these things deflect anger, however. Pulling away or say, saying nothing, that resolves nothing. So now in your house, there's a constant tension because nothing has been resolved. Now at your workplace, there's a, there's a tension, there's a heaviness there because nothing has been resolved. It's just been ignored, 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 ignored. But eventually it won't be able to be ignored anymore. And now tempers will flare and, and now there'll be a big, uh, a, a big problem, a big brouhaha, if you will. And, and all of this, uh, how many times have you heard brouhaha in a sermon? And that will happen in your life, in your workplace, in your house. It will happen in your world because you haven't responded to anything. You've allowed it to just continue to go. 
Responding in anger and frustration escalates the situation. Now it does, it proves that you're not a pushover. It proves that you won't be taken advantage of. You can't talk to me like that. It proves that you are strong, that you are independent. It proves that you can be all that you can, in fact, be. And and it's, it's, it's proving your value. It's making you feel good about you. And it also is creating a greater divide in the situation and, and it's turning what may have been a friend into a foe and, and, and it's causing a, a relationship to devolve and nothing is escalated. All of this is going on when Solomon writes a soft answer turns away wrath. The humble are confident about who they are and they're needing to prove nothing. And so they can answer softly, even when anger is given to them. So what's the gentle answer that can turn away wrath or anger, can deflect it? When somebody comes at you with anger, and a good answer could be, I understand what you're saying. Or I, I hear, I hear you. Or I'm sorry. I'm not going to apologize. You know, I have apologized for things in my life that I did not even do in order to begin the conversation and restore the relationship. I'm sorry. Or I hear you. Can you explain how I could have done that better? All you're trying to do is change the trajectory, deflect the situation, change the narrative. To where you can get back to the place where you can find unity in the relationship and begin working toward a solution in life. Now, somebody that's in authority might say, well, I've got to prove that I'm in charge. I'm going to give you a little hint here. If you've got to walk around declaring how much you're in charge, you're not in charge. Probably have never been in charge. It doesn't do you any good to declare I'm in charge. Because in that moment, you've shown your weakness. No extra charge for that. That's, that one's free. It's a heavy word. Humble leadership, however. Servant leadership will cause you to raise up in the esteem of both God and man. Pride announces position and power to prove value. The humble are confident in their position and in their power, and they can treat others with respect and earn respect in return. Think about the fact that Almighty God could have demanded worship from humanity. He could have demanded it. I am God, you will worship me. If the king of Babylon could demand that everyone in the kingdom would worship his golden image, and to our knowledge, only three Hebrew children said, nope, we're not going to do that. Then if almighty, that's a lot of power. If almighty God said, you're going to worship me, not even three, not even three would refrain from that. In fact, there's coming a day when he's going to do exactly that. He's going to say, everyone will worship me. And in that day, that's where the scripture says, every knee shall bow, every tongue will confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God. Uh, and, and, and I referenced that scripture, er, scripture earlier in the sermon. This is what it means to be in power and authority. And this is what God, who God is and what he could have done. But he chose not to do that. 
In fact, we rebelled against him. And rebellion sown usually reaps war and conflict in return. But God so loved the world that he responded to rebellion with a gift. Humanity rebelled against him and God said, I love you. I don't like what you did, but I love you. And I'm going to give you a gift. He changed the narrative. And he responded unusually. He sowed love in return for hate. And what did he gain? What did he reap from that? He, he reaped his church. He harvested his children. His gain is you and me. And if I think about that, I'm looking at me and I'm thinking, that's not much. But he said, it's worth it. It's worth it. The son of God became the sacrifice for man. Think about it. Jesus sowed himself. The son of God became the sacrifice for man. And what did he reap? When when he sowed love into rebellion, he rose from the dead and ascended to majesty on high where he sits at the right hand of the Father. You can't get any lower and more humble than the Prince of Heaven becoming the the Savior of humanity, dying for our sins, the Lamb slain from the foundation of the world. You can't get any more humble, and yet you cannot be any more exalted than sitting at the right hand of God, the Father, in power and authority. Humility didn't work out badly for him. And living in humility doesn't work out badly for you and for me. In fact, it changes the narrative and turns enemies into allies and foes into friends. And it it witnesses of God's work in your life and it raises your standard of living. And the result of living humbly is peace peace. How does it it equal peace? Because you have nothing to prove. You're operating within your strengths. You're recognizing your weaknesses and doing all you can to account for them, but you're operating in your strengths. You're trusting your Savior. You're not having to prove yourself to the neighbors or to your friends down the street. You're You're not having to prove yourselves to Instagram. Not too long ago, I was talking to a, a young lady who was a mom, and, and she said it, it became uh, difficult at times because she, she wanted to show her, her good stuff to the world like she was seeing, and it seemed like everybody was taking all these awesome pictures, and she just couldn't seem to get a picture the, the same way as everybody else got them. Think about that kind of pressure, and then wonder why why you even feel under that kind of pressure. You have nothing to prove. You are you. Your family is your family. Your children are your children. So be the best you you are. Don't try to be whoever they are. Humbly. 
Have you identified yourself correctly? Recognized weakness and strengths? Are you self-aware and others focused? Are you strong enough to intentionally and internally humble yourself before others? Are you ready to change the narrative in your life? Is there somebody in your life that you need to go talk to today? Apologize to? Make amends with? Humble yourself with? Is there a conversation that you need to have today? God's calling you. He's calling me to rise up and and claim the key to success and maximizing our life in Christ by choosing humility. And I'd ask you to bow your heads with me right now. And just ask the question, Holy Spirit, what are you saying to me right now in this sermon, in this service, in this moment together? You might be here today and and you've never humbled yourself before God. You've never allowed Jesus to be your Lord and Savior. That is an act of humility. It's saying, I cannot do this on my own. And if, if you know today is your day and God is speaking to you about this today, the Holy Spirit is working in your heart right now, then I want to encourage you and I'm going to give you this opportunity to make that decision today. Humble yourself before the mighty hand of God as he has humbled himself for you through Christ. Would you just pray this prayer with me? Lord Jesus, I love you. I believe that you lived, that you died, and that you rose again. And I believe you did that for me. And I'm asking you today to be the Lord of my life, the Savior of my soul. I repent of all my sins. And anything I've done that has displeased you, I I repent of that. I turn away from it. And I accept all that you have for me. And I give you all that is of me. So from this day forward, I accept you as my Lord and Savior. You are my God. And I am your child. In Jesus' name, amen. Oh, thank you, Jesus. I'm excited for you. And and I'm excited to welcome you into the family of God. And we would love to celebrate with you today. In fact, if you would, do us the honor of texting the word SAVED to the number 419-419-1565. That's 419-419-1565. And just let us connect with you and celebrate this decision that you've made in your life. You might say, well, hold on. No, no, no. I don't want want a connection. I don't want anybody to even know. Humble yourself. And allow us to celebrate with you. We want to celebrate you. You're part of the the family that we're a part of. And we're excited about that. If you're here today and you're saved. But you know that God's calling you to another level of humility. And I want to pray for you right now. Father, in the name of Jesus. I thank you for who you are, for what you're doing. And I thank you for speaking to your kids, your people right now. You've called us your own. You've made us your children. We are serving you. I pray that you would humble our hearts before you today. So that not only can we be your children, but we can be a testimony of your goodness and your glory in the world around us pray that when we would want to say the sharp word that you would temper us 
when our pride would rise up and carnality would want to speak words that would hurt, I pray that you would give us the humility to close our mouths. I pray that you would give us the courage to answer wrath with the soft word. I give you thanks and praise for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Let's worship the Lord.